Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this edition of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Papa, and today we have David Sachs. He is the managing principal of Calvera Partners in San Francisco. They are a multifamily investment firm, uh, like I said, based in San Francisco, and you guys do mainly Bay Area, right? And uh, I saw you started investing in Minnesota a little bit, too. Uh, how you doing, David? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And so where are you today? Uh, I am sitting in a conference room, uh, coincidentally, in a WeWork space, given uh, that oh, they're really? on the headlines right now in the real estate world. We are based in one in San Francisco, and I'm sitting in a conference room of theirs. Nice. I'm in a Spaces, which is like Regis's competitor to WeWork. Okay. I am uh, in San Mateo. No, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize you were in the Bay Area. Nice. Anyways, so thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Calvera before we, we, uh, we hop into your background? Sure, I'd be, uh, I'd be happy to. Um, Calvera, as you mentioned, is a San Francisco-based uh, real estate investment firm focused on multifamily. Uh, we were founded in 2010. Uh, just really quickly about you know, what we do at a very high level before we dive in. Um, as I mentioned, we, we typically invest in multifamily properties in high-growth markets. We all met, my two business partners and I, Brian Chuck, Brian Milovich, and myself, all met at the Hawk School of Business at UC Berkeley, where we got our MBAs. And then subsequently, uh, we all ended up working before starting Caldera at CIM Group, uh, which is a $30 billion institutional real estate and infrastructure manager. So we go back uh, quite a long way. You know, what we're doing here is effectively repositioning uh, underperforming properties. Uh, where our model, I think, is a little bit different is that we love the boutique hotel industry. So we try and take oh, yeah? from effective boutique hotels to reposition what we're doing on the apartment building side to kind of make our uh, brand, designs, and everything else in our repositioning is a little bit different and better than the competition. That's a little bit about a give me very an, high level. Can you give me an example of how that works? Like, so like you're going to like uh, like the Ace Hotel or something like that? Is that what you mean? Like have yes. those kind of amenities? and Exactly. So funny enough, if you, <laughs> I don't think you've even seen our pitch book, but if you saw our pitch book, uh, there are two, <laughs> two, two, two uh, uh, companies that we, we admire on the boutique hotel side are Ace Hotel and Joie de Vivre. Uh, and we pinpoint oh. those as, as, as folks that we like and admire. So exactly to your point, when you walk into one of our repositionings, uh, we want to have a cohesive brand that often is based on the building's history or location or anything else you might see in a boutique hotel. And that brand, colors, design, website, everything we're doing should flow back through to that brand so that we've created an environment that, you know, typically our ideally younger tenant base really loves and, and gets attached to. Uh, and that is often very different than kind of the cookie cutter renovations you might see, particularly here in the Bay Area of all the old apartment products that, that is up and down the, the various different uh, freeways like 101 and 280. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, does that take uh, an ex like more time to do? And like, why aren't other 
of your more of your, your competitors doing that? It's just easier. To I, would say, I would say that there's more time on the front end. Uh, so what I mean by that is we really sit down and brainstorm what brand we're going to do. How is it going to look? So we don't just dive right in. Yes, we might have a program for the most part about how we renovate the units, but when it comes to the common areas, redoing the outside, signage, uh, everything like that, that is where all the upfront work really happens uh, and where when you drive by one of our repositionings, you know, we've been told that you can kind of tell it's different than, than everything else to the point where we've even heard that brokers are bringing their uh, clients by saying that, oh, you, you could do this to your building if you bought it, even though I, I mm. believe that we would, we have that expertise and they don't. <laughs> That's pretty, I mean, that sounds like some of the fun part of it. Like just, it's more than just, you know, crunching numbers or whatever. You're actually being a little artistic and creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we were trained at CIM to kind of in all the different parts of, of real estate, ranging from investor relations, asset management to, you know, you name it. But yeah, that's where I think we're really adding the value. Anyone can put something into a spreadsheet and have it kick out, you know, a certain value. We, we really pride ourselves on the asset management and creativity behind those numbers to the point where, you know, we've gotten outside price uh, for values on the back end on sale and typically are achieving very high rents relative to the competition. Gotcha. Where generally are your properties? In the Bay Area? Like, and I think I saw on your website, you guys have opened something up in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we got our start doing deals all in the Bay Area. Uh, to start our company, all three of us were based here in San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, initially we did deals in, in Sunnyvale, uh, San Jose, uh, Mountain View, Santa Clara. We just bought a building in Alameda. And as you pointed out, we've kind of started our national expansion. We have one of my business partners, Brian Milovich, moved with his family to uh, Minneapolis. He went to undergrad there, very involved with the school currently. And we've always loved that market. So our first out-of-state acquisition that's already been transformed very recently, actually, we basically completed it, was in an emerging area of downtown Minneapolis. And she, Brian Milovich, will be running kind of the national expansion as we start to look in other select markets for a variety of reasons, diversification, but also, as you can imagine, it's harder and harder to find opportunities uh, here in the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm sure it is. That's awesome. So how many, how many, uh, how many units or how many properties do you guys have, have now? We've done 11, 11 deals. We're currently, uh, have already raised $15 million from about 60 plus people with a $30 million target over the next 10 months. So we're about 50% of the way there very quickly to expand, uh, and, and acquire additional, additional properties. Uh, and you know, it's, it remains to be seen where those are located. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking in the markets that I just mentioned, as well as some other markets that, that we're, we're tar- targeting and, and making offers in that have similar characteristics to, to the Bay Area. Awesome. So how did you, you get started in, in this? Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the Bay Area? Yeah. So I personally grew up in Palo Alto, down there, um, now living in San Francisco. Uh, I actually come from a family that was involved in real estate. Uh, my grandfather moved to the Bay Area from the Midwest uh, in 1959 without a real estate background, uh, made a bet that uh, people were gonna be moving to California. And over the course of his career with his business partner, 
ended up uh, developing about 1,500 uh, apartment units uh, in many of the cities that I mentioned previously. Now, I'm not a developer. Oh, wow. I, I don't have as much of a stomach for that. But you mm-hmm. know, I always had the entrepreneurial bug. And uh, you know, given that we went to Berkeley, my two business partners and myself, that, that was a big inspiration. And I should also mention that everything we're doing has been completely from scratch. So my grandfather's mm-hmm. portfolio was entirely sold <laughs> um, to 2007. And my grandmother has made, made me work for, for investors. So it's not family money that we're spending. It's been all, all, all our own hard networking yeah. and uh, fundraising. Well, you got, your grandfather got in early. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Him. Absolutely. And to, and to his credit, those buildings are all still there uh, and they have been sold a couple times more and the bones were, you know, he must've had some good vision because the bones allowed value add players like myself to, to transform them at a larger level. That's pretty cool. My grandfather was a, de- was a developer in, in Long Island in Queens. Yeah. So I kind of, and my, um, my, my uncle's a developer. My dad is a oh, builder, but, um, so I kind of was always grew up around like people were always talking about real estate and blueprints and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I None of my investments or anything like any of my real estate has come from anything to do with my family, but there is an interest there, or at least I, I was exposed to it a little bit. Was that sort of how you were growing up? Yeah, somewhat. I would say for whatever reason, and I also had kind of an artistic influence from some of my family, whether it was art collecting or my mom was a very good, good artist kind of on the side. I was actually originally interested in architecture and okay. uh, that's what I thought I wanted to do. So more of that side of real estate. And then for whatever reason, when I, when I decided to go to, to undergrad, instead of going to the architecture school that I got into, I, I went for the straight business economics kind of, kind of background. So, so originally, yeah, it was more of that, that side of things. And I, you know, it was subtly kind of around, around me a little bit. But not until kind of after college did I start to say, uh, you know, it, it was in my blood. It felt natural. And after a quick stint at uh, uh, Arthur Anderson during the Enron scandal, I was not an accountant. Um, I was a consultant. <laughs> I ended up getting a job at Equity Office in about 2002. That was my first entry into uh, real estate uh, was, was then uh, the, pretty much my second job after undergrad. So you went to school. I see you went to Northwestern, graduated from there, and we're at Arthur Anderson doing uh, consulting. And then do you just remember like being bored there or just like it just wasn't like lighting you up or anything? And you're just like, hey, I remember I kind of like real estate. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I, I, I think I realized that I wanted to definitely be doing something tangible, something creative. Uh, that, that architecture side of me was still there. I had a, real, a good friend from Northwestern working at Equity Office that was telling me about the exciting things they were working on. And coincidentally, they had a position open there in their research department, which is giving the executive team advice on where to buy and why from kind of more of an economic uh, perspective. And with my economics background from Northwestern, my history with the family, an interest kind of in moving away from kind of consulting, which I didn't have as much of a connection with, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. So I, I, I applied for the job, and the rest is, is history so since uh, 2002. I've been obviously loving it and now doing my own thing. And so you were at Equity doing this research thing, and you're like, you discovered, hey, I do actually do really like real estate, but 
you wanted to get more of an investment side because I see you went back to school then. Absolutely, that- absolutely. So Equity Office was a tremendous experience. Uh, it was before it was before they sold the Blackstone, uh, but it was it, you know I was working. Luckily, Sam Zell was interim CEO for part of the time I was there, so that was just a, a fantastic, very valuable uh, experience. But yeah, to, to answer your question, yes, I wanted to pivot to more of the investment side of things. And I also wanted to get back to the Bay Area from Chicago. And so that's oh, why okay, I applied yeah. and got into uh, Berkeley, which brought me back to the Bay Area, had a very solid real estate program. And I figured it would allow me to pivot from the kind of research economic side of the business to more of, well, to the acquisition side of the business, which was really more fascinating. Do you recommend going back to school for people? And like, what type of people are, is it good to go back to school for to get an MBA? So for me, given that I wanted to change locations, I felt at the time that was going to get me from more of the, uh, you know, one side of the business to another one that's, you know, very different. Um, it, it made a lot of sense. And I clearly met my two business partners there. So that also, got, clearly, I wouldn't yeah. trade that <laughs> for anything. But no, when I advise people, if they're already in the business, say an analyst, at a CIM group, and they know they like real estate investments, and that's their thing. I encourage them to just work their way up and continue to network and get on the side. It's probably not a perfect fit for everyone, but for me, I absolutely got, loved it for a number of reasons, and uh, still am involved, pretty involved with the with the school. Yeah, and so you got you went to CIM, which is a big shop. I mean, yep. most people know that name. Uh, and you were based in the Bay Area, so I was actually based, spending um, the first. Two of us. You, sorry to interrupt. Two of us were based in okay. um, L.A. and one of us was based in the Bay Area. I was based oh, okay. in L.A. Okay, so L.A. is their their headquarters. And did that allowed you the opportunity to do a lot of underwriting? Right? Is that kind of basically what you were doing there when you started? Yeah, and it was a post MBA job, and again, my two business partners also ended up there after. Berkeley, the one great thing, or, you know, there are many great things about the experience there, but as opposed to many post-MBA private equity jobs in real estate, when people are just focusing only on acquisitions, uh, CIM had the approach that you needed to asset manage the buildings and the properties that you bought. So I was doing everything from underwriting and, you know, initial valuation to negotiating, uh, writing asset management reports, doing loan abstracts, doing some fundraising. I really got a broad-based experience that was probably better than some of my peers. And I think that allowed Brian, Brian, and myself to go out on our own at a little bit of a younger age, given that we felt we had that tremendous, uh, intense experience. Yeah. With your partners, did you guys always, since school, you're like, hey, one day we're going to do something on our own? Or it's like, or did you guys just keep in touch and like one day you're like, Hey, why don't we, why not? we, we yeah. know the model. Let's, let's just do it ourselves. Or how, how did that happen? It was a process that evolved. So clearly I always had it in my, my blood. It was actually Brian Milovich that approached me. He left in 2010. So clearly it was before that. And he had had some experience running a complex acquisition of old San Francisco apartment buildings uh, through CIM. And part of that allowed him to kind of run them. And he's like, oh, I can do this. I think there's some money to be made here. You know, Dave has a good network and maybe could help with the fundraising side as well as anything else on the real estate side. 
And we think that the timing is right in terms of the cycle for apartments, because this was probably a conversation we had in 2009. And so that was kind of what inspired us to do it. And then we thought we needed a third person. And Brian Chuck was working with me in Los Angeles, also from that Haas background. So it really was it, yeah, it was a combination of, of, of our personal experience at CIM, family background, desire to do it ourselves, desire to have better work-life balance, uh, and ultimately to hopefully build some sort of an empire for long term. <laughs> but it takes guts. I mean, there's, takes, there's a big risk. I mean, you're going for CIM, which, I mean, a lot of people would be like, hey, I can just spend my entire career at CIM, make a lot of you know, good money, be pretty stable, I and mean, CIM's not going to... You know, they're not going to run out of funding, I imagine. So who knows if you're going to make, you know, people are going to give you any money, right, to, to invest. And who knows if your thesis is, is correct. I mean, what, what do you think it was about you guys that made you guys different from the, the guys who are still at, at CIM that you worked with? Well, it's a good question that you ask. Because looking back, mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to be naive, not the right word, but not thinking about all the different risks in order to actually pull the trigger and get rid of that post-MBA paycheck. That was a pretty scary thing when that W-2 doesn't come in every couple of weeks. So you're 100% correct on that. You know, typically I'd say now if I was going to advise someone in addition to, you know, giving yourself some room to make errors, i.e. I, I, like not at the top of the cycle, uh, make sure you have access to deals and or money. You know, we, we had confidence in ourselves. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you face when you start your own company. You're like, oh, wow, I'm glad you didn't think that through. But we're smart guys. We figured it out. <laughs> we have good training. And we ultimately felt that that's the direction that we wanted to take ourselves in our lives, which was to do this, do this ourselves and, and at least give it a shot while we were young. I'm sure if it didn't work out, we could have gone back and had even better experience to go back to one of these uh, shops. But we didn't see ourselves as kind of career grinding endless, 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 endless hours a week in an intense environment for a big private equity firm where, you know, most of the decisions in the capital is going to the people at the top, very, very top, the founders. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you get to build your own thing after it's still a lot Exactly. What is, so what was the, or what is the biggest, like, obstacle you had to overcome? What's the hardest part of owning your own real estate investment shop? At least well, maybe I at the beginning. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of obstacles and and different things that you face versus working in a big private equity shop. I mean, I I don't even know where to start the different things that we've worked through, but fundraising. So you're, we had, had done over a billion dollars of transactions with CIM. So, you know, so we had that quote unquote track record on paper, but once you're sitting there fundraising and you're, you're talking to your average accredited investor, or even someone that's pretty savvy with real estate investing uh, who's provided capital to groups like ours, they want to know what you've done by yourself. So while that Mm. track record with CIM is great, it's hard to get those early investors on board because they're effectively just investing in you and your integrity versus I'm not going to be able to point to, oh, I've done 10 different deals by myself and we've done very well. So that, that, was, that was a big challenge, kind of getting that first group of investors. Uh, and then after that, it's figuring out all the different things that make a real estate deal work on your own. So I can't go to the insurance expert at CIM anymore or work with the you know, contractors internally at CIM 
and rely on all the different expertise that they had. And I was more just the quarterback. Now we're kind of doing it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I, that's just the beginning of the challenges you face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you get the first investors on board? They just have to feel comfortable with you, right? And just. Yeah, I, I think I think for us, it was they knew us. They knew our personalities. They met with us pretty intensely. They knew, you know, candidly, they knew my family or good people that they could trust. Uh, and ultimately, they got comfortable. And, and also, we clearly pitched a good business plan in the apartment space. It was kind of a combination, I'd say, of all of those things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was just kind of faith. And those investors, to, to their credit, have all been rewarded very, very handsomely because they got in really early. It's a great time in the market, and we've done great deals. So, uh, every person's different yeah. I and mean, as someone that does most of the fundraising for my company everyone looks at it in a different way and i'd say many of our investors you know they're they're not giving us you know 90 percent of their liquid you know uh, assets to to put in real estate so uh, i think that also helps them get over the hurdle but it's continued to snowball um, and you know we've gotten referrals because we've done well yeah that's great and what does the company look like now? You three sure. still, and like you guys are just expanding into new markets? Yeah, so we have an analyst now. So we are looking to add some more people. Um, we have an analyst that works nice. with Brian Milovich in, in Minneapolis, and that's been very helpful. You know, mostly, in the, you know, we work with contractors and other things, but those aren't in-house. Um, going forward for us, we're now exploring different steps on how we can, you know, expedite, not expedite, but grow. Uh, keep growing. And I would say, what does that look like? It looks like moving from, you know, the average accredited investor that might be writing us a $200,000 check to now having conversations with RIA and family offices that can write much larger checks. And Mm -hmm. so we can grow kind of the amount of capital that we're able to work with there. Uh, and, and, And that's really what we're focusing on as well as looking at other markets and potentially even creating an advisory board to help us with those efforts. That's awesome. And so uh, how do you, how are you finding other markets or any, any markets you're hot on? Yeah. I mean, everything as you can possibly imagine right now, we were trained at CIM to look at markets that had very similar characteristics, you know, technology, healthcare, employment, demographics, moving in the right direction, infrastructure, uh, mass transportation improvements. You know, those markets are all very attractive markets. And therefore, unlike when I was at uh, Equity Office in 2002, if you had better research, uh, you could probably outsmart someone. Unfortunately, now everyone's looking at a lot of the same <laughs> places. So yeah. a little bit different of environment. But the ones that we're focused on right now, other than the Bay Area in Minneapolis, are Austin, Texas, Seattle, uh, Phoenix, is what we're looking, uh, you know, we're looking at one-off deals in, in kind of markets that fit the similar profile to the Bay Area. Uh, you know, it is competitive out there, uh, so it's, it's hard to find deals, but as long as we can spread ourselves um, not too thin, but across a few more markets, we think we can continue finding, you know, a few deals a year in those markets that make sense. Yeah, and then are you looking to expand your headcount too? Like just grow your company more? Cause you, you don't self-manage, right? You got you third party on your management. We stopped doing that. So when we first started, 
in addition to bringing in more fee income, but also just kind of uh, figure it out and learn a lot. We did self-manage, and I have lots of stories on that, including when we owned a 42-unit building in Sunnyvale, we had to do a full repipe of the building. The pipes kind of uh, okay. crapped out on us, um, and that was a whole other story. So, no, I mean, yeah, it's, as we grow assets under management, yes, we would look to add people, you know, whether it's a controller or someone focused on asset management or another analyst. Thanks, thanks to our um, some of the cloud-based software that we use on the investor relations side, we don't really need anybody at the moment on investor relations. I'm able to handle that as well as do a lot of the fundraising. So, yeah, absolutely. With more money yeah. under management, it comes more people. Yeah, that's what I find. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pitching you on my services, but yeah, I, I work with a lot of smaller companies and I'm just working one with one in San Francisco and yeah, we're building out, uh, they just hired like, you know, an internal accountant, uh, their own internal construction, internal construction person, their, their first IR person, yeah, asset manager, acquisition. So yeah, it's, it's pretty fun to see a company build out like that. It seems like the bigger I can pay. We can we'll get help. Yeah. <laughs> The bigger they get, the more they want control. And or sometimes, I guess there's a trade-off there too. It's like, if you just don't want to have the headache. I mean, having a staff and managing a staff is just another part of it. It's, just, it's like adding a job to your job already. So It is. Um, maybe and thankfully, Brian Novich in Minneapolis is willing to take take that on for the most part. But eventually, yes, I, that's bringing me back to the CIM days where, yeah, you had a team of analysts below us. So it is a trade-off there. Um, yep. Well, congratulations, man. You do, you're doing great. I mean, I've, I remember I, I, when I first moved to the Bay Area in 2011, I think I met Brian, Chuck, when you guys yeah. first started. You guys first started okay. uh, open, open Your Doors, and it's been – yeah, I, I see your name in the, in the news and stuff like that. So congratulations on all your success. So now we're, now we're going to jump to our, our – we do I do like a five-question generally type of thing, just kind of fire around. Uh, so any books that you recommend to anyone? out there yeah well i'm not being biased because i did work at equity office but i did i guess it wasn't i shouldn't say recently but um when it came out trying to remember if it was in the last couple of years i think it was it was sam zell's kind of uh, auto biography am i being too subtle i think is what it was called and that was a really nice uh easy read and you know as someone that worked for him Briefly, I thought it was a, a really nice take on his background and how he's been able to pivot to different parts of the business and other businesses. Very, very smart guy, obviously. So I, I, I really like that book. Yeah, I got to read that one. I, I think uh, I've heard a couple other people talk about that. And he's an amazing dude. Any any podcasts you listen to regularly? So it's funny. We've been trying to get on some podcasts in, in terms of kind of helping to build our just, you know, presence out there. So I appreciate you inviting me on to this one. Yeah, I've, I've listened to stuff on uh, bigger pockets and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's more kind of random things that I hear about with topics related to what I'm focused on, which is more the fundraising side of things. So I'd hmm. say I do a lot more generally just daily reading of various different uh, publications and things like that. It's kind of why I think I spend most of my time versus. Which, what, uh, I'm always looking for new, this is my own selfish reason. What do you, what do you generally yeah. read? Like PRE and certain, what, what certain publications? Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, many of them, but so yeah, I mean, it's got Globe Street. Um, I'm reading NREI, National Real Estate uh, Investor is a good one for me. There's multi-housing. There's endless multi-housing ones that blast out bit, bit daily articles. 
uh, Biz Now, and then a lot of the local stuff. So, you know, the Biz Journals they have a daily blast of news that I get in the morning and then in the afternoon. You can sign up by market. And I found that those uh, uh, focus a lot on, more on real estate than you think. And then, you know, registry, yeah, there's a lot that you can, you can go nuts reading a lot of these things. So you have to get good at skimming and figuring out what's, what's the best one, but also yeah, PREI and some of those other things. Gotcha. What do you like doing besides working? Do you have any sort of like practice? Like I do meditation and exercise a lot. Is there anything that yeah. keeps you sane in this crazy world? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I'm a big, I'm really big into arts and culture. So I go to a lot of art openings, uh, art, art museums, very involved in some nonprofits, boards, and then I'm a big San Francisco uh, Bay Area sports fan. So I try to go to as many of those games as possible. And uh, Hannah and I always like a good party. <laughs> now, w- what advice would you give to your younger self, like if you're coming out of college or a 20 year old self? I probably uh, would have said just, well, number one, don't work at Arthur Anderson. <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's an aside, although that was a good experience. That, that was a good experience. You know, I, I probably would have just died driving to real estate a lot faster. I mean, I guess I only missed it by a couple of years when you think about that, because I did start in 2002 and I graduated college in 2000. But, you know, even the internships, I wish I could have dived into that. Um, a little bit more and then maybe also just trust your gut you know we're very analytical over here at calvera in terms of you know everything needing to work perfectly in a financial model that we're really beating up you know and i'd say mm-hmm. we've been if we had followed our gut more time we've, we've done very very well don't get me wrong we've probably passed on some things where we knew we were right but you know we couldn't quite get that model to, to work and our investors really appreciate that but which yeah. so there's nothing wrong with it but you know, uh, we're very over analytical. <laughs> Sometimes it's better safe than sorry with other people's. Exactly. Money. Exactly. My investors do like that. So there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, there's a balance. Now, what do you guys look for? What do you specifically look for in hiring people? I know you've only have that analyst, but like what kind of characteristics sure. do you look for if you're going to hire someone? Sure. I think that we are, you know, we're very smart guys, but also very kind of laid back you know, not laid back in a negative way, but I think that Haas business school culture is very easygoing, easy to work with. You know, we're not really, really intense folks that you might get into banking and things like that. So I think there has to be that cultural personality fit for sure. And then somebody that's obviously a real go-getter and can uh, work in a very entrepreneurial environment. So while our analyst does spend most of the time, I'd say, underwriting deals, she, she could be doing something completely random and different at any given point and yeah. doesn't mind getting kind of thrown in there with a lot of different experiences. But it really is, there needs to be a cultural personality fit, I'd say, number one, for, every, for the analyst's reason or anybody's reason in our reason. Awesome. Well, David, I appreciate your time, man. That was great. Thank you. No, I appreciate you inviting me on again. Congratulations on all your success. I look forward to to seeing you guys in the news and uh, some future deals. All right. And I look forward to sharing this. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.